Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Today we continue with our winter worship series, The Gospel According to Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian pastor, and he began filming Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1968 because he was frustrated with children's programming, and he was determined to do something about it. So for two and a half decades and over 850 episodes, he used television to nurture those who would join him as his neighbor. Amazon describes the show by saying, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is more than a television program. It's a visit with a trusted friend and guide, exploring with children things that matter in their everyday world, feelings, questions, and concerns. 
And then PBS adds, never afraid to tackle tough subjects, he spoke openly about the topics children silently wondered and worried about, but adults often struggled to talk about. Fred Rogers used public television as his, his pulpit, his ministry to the world. And while he never preached a sermon on air, he embodied the gospel of Jesus in every single episode. And so during this series, we are taking a look at the biblical themes that we can see in the episodes and also the way that he exemplified the gospel in his life. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that in these moments, your spirit might be felt, your hope experienced, and the challenge of your good news declared. Calm our minds and open our ears so that we might hear your voice speaking to us, that we truly may be transformed. Amen. In 1987, Mr. Rogers did a series on his show about making mistakes, in which he talks about the many ways that we all make mistakes, pointing out that all human beings make mistakes, even kings, and what we do when friends make mistakes. In one episode, X the Owl mistakes Audrey Duck for Henrietta Pussycat dressed up like a duck. And he accidentally, doing this, he accidentally makes fun of the way that Audrey Duck looks. And he even laughs at her. And of course, as soon as he understands this mistake, he apologizes to Audrey Duck, but her feelings are still hurt. So he makes a note for her and he tells Lady Aberlin, I'll try not to make that mistake again. And she responds, that's how people grow. When Audrey Duck sees the I am sorry note from X the Owl, she says, he knows it was a mistake, and he's sorry, and I believe him, so that's that. Mr. Rogers had a knack for taking difficult concepts that adults struggle with and distilling it into simple components for children and the children's adults to understand. And forgiveness is one of those concepts. Forgiveness is at the same time unbelievably complex and miraculously simple. In her book, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, Adele Calhoun says this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a human idea. It's God's idea. Forgiveness is not a human idea. It's God's idea. Throughout scripture, we see examples of God teaching God's people to forgive one another. In Genesis, we see Joseph forgiving his brothers after they, their, jealous, their jealousy towards him caused them to throw him into slavery. And when Esau saw his brother Jacob, he kissed him on the cheek and he embraced him, even after Jacob had stolen his birthright. And then Jesus comes on the scene and things get real. He came to take the sins of the world in order to redeem us and to forgive us, all because of God's extravagant love for us. And through Jesus, we see just how wastefully extravagant God's love and forgiveness are for us, because we see that they can't be earned or calculated or measured. 
Forgiveness is simply ours for the taking. In today's scripture, we get a glimpse of that wastefully extravagant forgiveness that God has for us. Jesus' parable of the prodigal son or, or the lost son begins with this younger son asking his father for his share of the estate that will eventually come to him, but he wants it now. He demands it. And that's both, both a disrespectful statement and it's very irregular for him to do that. In that statement, the son was breaking his family ties and he was treating his father as if he was already dead. He collects his goods, the, the young son does, and he travels to a distant country. And he proceeds to squander his inheritance on living fast and loose. And then finally, after renouncing his family, he attaches himself to a Gentile who orders him to feed his pigs, which was an abhorrent act for a Jewish man to do. So complete was this younger son's fall, and so desperate was he that he desired to eat of the pods that the pigs were eating. He had no family, no community, and no one to give him anything. His destitution was complete. He had reaped the bitter fruit of his own foolishness. Then it says in Scripture that the younger son came to himself. He had an epiphany. He reclaimed in that moment his identity, and he decided to return to his father, remembering who he was and whose he was. But he realized that he no longer deserved to be called his father's son, and so he had no claim on his father's good, and he really had no moral right to be called his son. And so he goes and he resolves that he's going to ask his father if he can be a servant in his house, because that would be far better than the life that he was living right now. It can seem like the son here wants to simply improve his circumstances, but when it says that he came to himself, that shows that he realized what he had done. He realized that he had sinned against both God and his father. And this returning to his father is an act of repentance. Repentance means returning. It's as if he is saying, Abba, again, putting one's whole trust in his father. Returning to the father's house and returning to the Father's arms, the heavenly Father's arms. No other image in Scripture has come close to describing the character of God than this waiting Father that we see here in this parable. The waiting Father peering down the road, longing for the Son's return, and then springing to his feet and running to meet him. In ancient Palestine, it was regarded as a loss of dignity to run. Yet the father here sets aside all concerns for that, all concerns for propriety, and he runs to his son. He was moved by compassion, and his joy carried him down the road to meet his son again. Immediately, the son, seeing his father, he, he starts into his rehearsed speech, and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, 
But before he could finish that rehearsed speech, the father interrupts him and gives him, gives instructions to his servants. He calls for a robe and a ring and sandals. And this is, this act is uh, the father publicly receiving his son back into the family, signifying to everyone else that he was a full son again. The lavishness of this father's reception is then amplified by him ordering to get the fattened calf to be killed because meat wasn't a daily part of their lives. It was normally reserved for special occasions and special festivals. So the son's return here is that special occasion worthy of celebration. This This father figure, this is how God receives us when we return to God. When we come to God and we confess, I am sorry. And we acknowledge where we have fallen short. God's immediate, extravagant forgiveness seems wasteful because, well, it's just one person or or it's just me, so I don't need that much forgiveness. But if we remember that we are worthy because God believes that we are, because God created us, and because God loves us, then it's not actually wasteful extravagance. It's not wasteful forgiveness. We are worthy of that extravagant grace for ourselves. Allow yourself to receive God's extravagant forgiveness. Sometimes it's the hardest part to just let ourselves receive it and feel it and own it. But we are not just a forgiven people. We are called to forgive one another. It's one thing to receive God's forgiveness, but then it's another thing to forgive those around us. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, pray in this way, forgive us our sins. We say trespasses, but forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiving others, though, well, you know that's not easy. We live in a world where people hurt one another, and we feel real pain from the hand of another person, whether it's the form of rejection or judgment or betrayal or if it's the horrific wrongs of torture and rape and murder and mass shootings, we hurt as human beings. And then we add on to that real pain our human pride and our desire for retaliation and retribution because those things, those feel good and that feels like what we should want. And we're hurt and we're broken, and we just want to feel better. And so we seek those things. And forgiveness seems so counterintuitive. And this is where the elder brother comes in. He's this example of being unwilling to forgive. He comes in from the fields, and he's filled with anger when he hears how his father has received his brother. His brother who'd returned, but he'd left. Why should he get this grand celebration? And so the elder brother refuses to come into the house when his fa- and then his father goes out to greet him. And, and the, 
the older son doesn't even wait for the father to say anything. He just says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed you. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him brother, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's filled with anger and judgment and pride in his own acts and what he has done. When forgiving someone else, we have to first confront our own sinfulness. The fact that we're not perfect and we haven't lived the way that we should or the way that we want to. And recognize that God has forgiven us. And that forgiveness is not about justice or merit. It's about grace that is given freely for all. When we think about the way that God has forgiven us for those sins that we have committed, then we think about what others have done to us, then often those sins are similar, or at least they're often based in pride and greed and temptation and all of those human things. But it's extremely powerful to forgive someone else. The task The challenge of forgiving others can be one of the most life-transforming and liberating things that we can do, both for us and for the other person. Forgiveness separates the wrongdoer from the wrongdoing by refusing to label that person as all bad. So when we forgive, we are joining our hearts with the heart of Jesus, seeing the sacred worth in that other person. And when we forgive, we allow God to judge them. We allow God to deal with that person who hurt us. We remove ourselves from the position of judgment, which we're not supposed to be in anyway, and we put God in that position. And that doesn't happen accidentally, though. We have to intentionally do that. We must decide that we are going to let go of our own ego and forgive as we have been forgiven. In Amy Hollingsworth's book, The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers, she tells of a time when Fred Rogers and his wife Joanne visited Fred's beloved seminary professor, Dr. Orr. They had just sung, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, in church that morning, and Fred asked Dr. Orr, you know in that verse it says something about The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. And then it goes on, and at the very end of the verse, it says, one little word shall fell him. And Fred asked Dr. Orr, what is that one little word that would wipe out the prince of darkness fell him? And Dr. Orr thought for a minute, and he said, forgiveness. You know, Fred, there is one thing that evil cannot stand, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness of ourselves and forgiveness of others can change us, and it can transform the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
we are grateful for the way that you greet us when we have gone astray and we come back to you. We are grateful for the forgiveness, the extravagant forgiveness that you pour out upon us that seems to be wasteful. It seems like it, it just doesn't make sense, but God, it is of you. It is good, and we are worthy. God, I pray that for each and every person here this morning, that they might know that they are worthy of your forgiveness and of your love. That, they, that it might settle into their hearts. It might make their hearts whole so that they might be transformed by your love. Be with us as we go from this place. Remind us this week of your forgiveness that is constantly with us every single moment, every single day. Thank you, God. Amen.